Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joe Buck in person. It's never happened. It's never happened. It's never happened. Actually, that's not true. We did the first trial run that no one has ever heard or seen. There's some parts to that that I think people would enjoy, but it came off to me when you and I and Sim and Matt and Josh, yeah. we now know, were in my hotel room in L.A. Mm-hmm. That was funny. It was weird, and we had some fun stuff, but it came off as whiny. I was mm-hmm. whining the whole time. About oh, people think I don't like their team. I and know then you're whining I, I about know. your dad's. So like, I know nobody but wants to hear people whine. I know we didn't know what we were doing. We was a trial. Do you hear this? I do. That's my cocktail rattling around because I'm happy. Is it odd that we're plugged into the same Zoom recorder? Yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. I don't even think this is probably working. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it is. Check. Yeah. Yeah. I can see the bars going up. So we got better for this one. <clears throat> yeah, this is why this preamble is going to be short. You know, even though it's kind of heartbreaking because uh, we are finally uh, together, <laughs> we can look at each other in the I eyes know. instead of a like uh, Max Headroom Zoom call where it's in and out. The and thing is, whatever. it's a whole different energy when you and I are together. There's a it's 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 much more personal, even in the. 45 seconds that we've been talking. Yeah, it's better. And it's why I should live in LA. You should live in St. Louis, which Mm -hmm. I think your acting career would take off Mm -hmm. in St. Louis. No. But you know what? We should meet in the middle and just come to Colorado. I'll fucking quit. Why don't we just come to Colorado and I'll move into Kurt's loft okay he won't even know i'm there yeah my kids won't be able to find me and we'll we'll hit (laughs) we will hit podcast gold that would be true we could just record from kurt's loft daily we would be three hours a day with this lincoln log cabin that your family has this is this is yeah utopia it's a special place it's a special place and i'm glad you're here yeah, it's good we're, to be here. Yeah, we're we're knocking this out because we want to go down and start drinking and eating and having fun. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about to barbecue. Yeah. You know. Do I get to meet Kate Hudson? Is she going to be there? Mm, I think she's afraid yeah. that you have COVID. Yeah. Well, I know. She's afraid of her own <laughs> shadow. And as we've said before, I've known Kate longer than I've known you. I know, I know. Um, no, she's coming. She's on I've, her way. By a she's factor of a million yeah. closer to you. I don't even hardly talk to Kate. No, anymore. I know. She's but on her way. Kate's kids is... Oh, my God, I I've know. watched Ryder grow up, and I know this isn't about them, and we'll probably cut it out because she probably has some uh, <laughs> copyright infringement thing going on. <laughs> I'm but just saying his her name. Her kids are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Her baby girl's beautiful. Yeah. Bing is like this savant yeah. on, a, on the drums, which I've seen since he was little. And Ryder's like this friggin' stud. stud. Total stud now. It's fun hanging with Ryder. Yeah. He's 16 like, going on 17. You know, he's all about girls. She has his girlfriend right now. And uh, he's just, he's cool. He's and wise. extremely funny, by the way. He's really dry Deeply and funny. Deeply smartly funny. But yeah. that's Chris. A yeah. little bit oh, of, that yeah. I've been around Chris. Yeah. 
but he's he's wise mm-hmm. as a kid. He's seen a lot. He's been around. I, he were, I I didn't know you obviously then, but to me, he represents what I think you kind of would have been oh like back God, then. Oh my God, it's crazy that you're even saying that. I see so much of my old self in Ryder, and I tell him that all the time. I'm like, dude. You're so much like me. I can't even. It's weird. It's strange. I even say it to Kate, and Kate's like, "God help us." Yeah, but you know, I turned out all right. I think. But I also said to him, you know, the cool thing when I used to go hang with Kate, which used to be a lot more, is I got to hang with you, Ryder, and I was going to take him like kind of as my kid to a Dodger game, a playoff game, or a World Series game, and something happened, and I don't know if, if maybe they didn't make the World Series that year or whatever. But he's one of those kids, and and I feel like my daughters were that way, and I know that your boys and Rio are going to be that way too, where they're going to get to a certain age, and I know they already are in some ways, Mm -hmm. but when they kind of become young adults, you would rather hang out with them Mm -hmm. than you would 95% of your Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because there's been a shift uh, in Ryder, in in mine and Ryder's relationship. Is it mine and Ryder and mine? What's the correct grammar? Uh, For the two of us. Great. For it's the been two a shift for the two of us. It's been a shift for the two of us. He has matured to the point where we have become friends now and can talk on a, an entirely different level. But at the same time, I feel like it is my responsibility as his uncle to show him the right way, you know, or at least my way, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, I think you're doing, you've already. <laughs> it's why you fascinated me from the first moment I met you, which is you, you've kind of walked on the wild side. You've pulled yourself back to the midline. You still have your fun. You're relaxed, Mm -hmm. but you're a great dad. You're a devoted husband and you're a good brother and obviously a great uncle. So you, whatever went into your upbringing and your, the stew that Mm -hmm. is Oliver Hudson is, has come out great. Mm -hmm. So, so you shouldn't want to. So t- you shouldn't want to take any of that back. No, even, even all this weird stuff you're about to talk about with Eddie Vedder. I know. I did. I you got. Did. I got. A, I opened. Up, I opened up, dude. I fucking cried. You cry. I've I cried. never. I've never seen that side of you. I so know. I cried. Eddie will tell a story at the end of the upcoming interview, which we did uh, last week. And and so Eddie, when he talks, and and you're going to find this out in this podcast because he's very thoughtful. When I and 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 I don't name drop. That's not the point of this. As I told you, I don't mm-hmm. think the 25 year old Joe Buck would have been friends with the 28 year old Eddie Vedder. Mm-mm. He was way too cool. I was way too dorky. He was doing his thing and just just rocket shipping through the rock world. Yeah, and I'm and I was doing cool stuff, but no, <laughs> the fat kid yeah. from Country Day yeah. in St. Louis was not hanging out or friends with Eddie Vedder. But I met him at the right time, and he's a legit baseball fan, and that's what started our friendship. We're both dads to two girls, and he is he is the reason why I'm saying all this. He's very thoughtful, and he doesn't just give an answer. He thinks mm. and and when you when you get a text from him it like should be put to music it's yeah. so well written he is a writer yes and then a musician right well he, he he seems to be a writer in everything that he does or says and this is why when you listen to this episode you're going to hear these pauses and, and i i made the conscious decision not to even interrupt because you can almost feel and hear him thinking you know what I mean? And it was sort of fantastic not to say anything at all. He needed to formulate before he speaks. He really thinks before he says anything. And I talked to him after the fact. He loved it. 
there's a piece to this that won't play um, mm-hmm. because he really wanted to talk to Kurt Russell, your pa, and they just went on and on about baseball. Yeah. And Eddie's just he, – he says his favorite baseball movie is The Battered Bastards of Baseball, which is about your grandfather. Yeah, it's a documentary. his father. On Netflix, yeah. And so they connected on that. Then they're telling Jim Bouton stories. They're just going on and on and on, which was gold. But then we would have to get more waivers. No, I know. It's too much. It's too much. It's but too much. what I started to say was because Eddie Good for is, the archives, though. Good for the archives. Maybe it comes back never when know. everybody yeah. else is dead. When right. I die early, you're younger <laughs> exactly. than me. You bring it back. And I will. Stuff, I will. The unheard behind the music. So He's so cool, though, by the way. Eddie Vedder, I was a little nervous because he, he's just so cool. But he put you at ease right away. Uh, right away. Right away. But he's still insanely cool. I mean, I actually ordered he's two. He's a genius. I'm I ordered two you. tank tops after we no. got off. I did. No. I was like, I'm starting to wear tank tops. You don't have the arms tops. for that. What do you mean? I look good. You don't have the arms for oh, that. Oh, yes, I do. You don't I have do. the chest for that. Oh, I've, got, I've got a nice, I've no. got nice pecs. No. No, I do. No, 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 no. slight. No. I ordered two tank tops because he was wearing a tank top. Really? Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna, this is my new style. So the whole point of bringing any of this up <laughs> is when he was telling this unbelievable story, mm. and most people who I think will tune into this, and we're going to get to it right now, is they know his story with his dad. But I think it's important to say, for those who may not, his mom and dad got divorced when he was one. Mm-hmm. His mom got remarried. He grew up the entire time as a young person thinking the person that his mom was married to was his dad. Yeah, his real father. And that his real father was just a family friend. Yes. Then his father passes away with MS. He knew his father, but after the fact, he was basically told that, no, that was your dad. Yeah. That was your blood. And so he tells this incredible story from going to a Cubs fantasy camp. Now, I don't know if he's ever told this publicly. Yeah. He had told it to me before yeah. don't privately. Don't ruin the whole thing. I won't. Okay. No, I won't. Yeah. But as he's telling the story, he's looking up. Yeah. Because he was on his phone. He's looking up, not at the screen. The whole time I'm watching you because you could not. Couldn't handle you it. You couldn't breathe. I was trying to hold on, man. I know. And I'm watching him like, that is a different. I was Oliver trying to hold on. And I finally seen. let it go. I was like, fuck it. I, I'm done holding on. And I just started crying. Yeah. It's like crying. Which, which you know. Yeah, he. You had him then in the palm of your hand, and then you're asking him advice with now, regard to the, the relationship. Best, the best part dad. was he goes, "I love you, man. I love you. I love yeah. you." And I was like, well, like "I love you too." I like, know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I was like, "I love you. I love you too." Right? <laughs> oh, it was great. Uh, this is this was a special uh, special episode for me. I know Joe knows him. I've never met him, but this was an all time, all time, all time. So. Enjoy the man, Eddie Vedder. Oh, well, hell. Here we go. Oh, well, hell. No, right. man. So I, uh, I, quit, I quit smoking like a year ago, and I had three cigarettes last night, and they were fantastic. Oh, dang. Yeah, it was, it was, it, it was, it was, there's three of the most amazing cigarettes that I've had, and, uh, and uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to have another one tonight. But <laughs> <laughs> you slip know. slide in away. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, are you in Hawaii? No, this this does not. This, no, no. We're Seattle. Oh, I know. It just looks so beautiful and bright, and I didn't think Seattle had days like that. We we get them. Hi, buddy. Uh, that was Oliver Hudson that talked to you about having a. Uh, 
uh, quit smoking. And uh, just so you know, he's scared. He's nervous. He thinks you're not going to like him, and he's worried because you're too cool. And I, I tr- I'm trying to put him at ease, but I don't think it's working. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm. I consider myself cool for the most part, but you're a lot cooler than I am. And so I was just, I got nervous to, I wanted to try to at least match your cool. And I'm not sure it's going to happen. And it's okay. But even more so, Joe told me that you, that you know my, my father and his band, the Hudson Brothers. I mean, no one fucking knows them. How, how do you even know them? <laughs> that that might have been a lack of parenting. Uh, and then uh, I must have been... <laughs> You know, stuck watching the TV on Wednesday nights yeah. at eight o'clock, maybe Thursday. Oh, the um, variety show, right? But where did they start? What What was before their own gig? You know, they yeah. Well, they they grew up in Portland. They were born in Portland, grew up in Portland, and you know they've had their band since they were kids, pretty much. And they were just. Uh, doing their thing and then i think the variety show is what put them at least a little bit on the map you know and then my dad met my mom on an airplane and impregnated her and that was that <laughs> what are you a mile high kid forget on the, the club. plane are you a mile high kid yeah no my well the story goes is that my mom didn't want to have anything to do with him and uh he was just very persistent you know charming and finally she agreed and that and it, it, everything worked out. But my mom was nine months pregnant with me when they got married. So th- that shows you something there. Well, he was the most handsome of the brothers. Was he also he was. the oldest? Yes, he was the oldest. And or what is he middle? No, he, I think he was the oldest and uh, the most handsome. And uh, he also bailed on me so (laughs) (laughs) i'll take hudson brothers trivia for uh 500 alex well what's Uh, how did that no but we're 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 in a different we're in a better place now but man i didn't it it was a rough go for a long long time and only in the last year or so we've reconnected just through text but you know he lives in malibu and has forever and i just never saw him and you know he was doing his own thing he had his other family, plural, I guess, families, and and uh, he just sits in his studio and he's been trying to write an album for 150 years. Drinks his whiskey, smokes his joints, and and uh, he's just emotionally, you know, not necessarily at a place where we can truly, truly connect. But we've had a few six packs and we've had some really nice times over the last couple of years, and we're so we're sort of there's we're content in a way that it's something rather than just nothing, you know, but that's the way it is. You know, for somebody who grew up, uh, you know, when I, by the time I found out who my dad was, uh, he was no longer on the planet. So, you know, that's, there's, there's a lot that, that, that contentment, that's, that's a big deal. It's, it's very, yeah. that's, that's, worth a lot <laughs> whatever it is I, I, it's I worth think, a lot you know yeah no I, I think you're right and I, I think I think about that and I was just talking with my actually my sister's boyfriend yesterday about it you know uh, you know when he dies how am I going to feel about it if I have not at least made my best effort even though he was the one and responsible for being the dad in my life and he was 
not able to do that. I have forgiven him entirely because the truth is, is that his dad left him when he was five years old, never to return until the boy's mid-20s. So he didn't have much of a chance, you know, and, and at that time, there was not a lot of therapy and it wasn't about looking inward and trying to resolve your, you know, some psychological patterns that you've developed. For me, it was a little different. I didn't want to be that dad. You know, I really made a point to I would be all in with my kids. So I forgive him. I, he didn't have much of a shot necessarily. And after I have that sort of sense of forgiveness, you know, I was thinking, oh man, I got to connect with this guy because if he dies, how am I going to feel about it? You know, at the end of the day, he is my dad. So mortality did play a factor in me wanting to get back together with him and at least reconnect, you know? You know, there's a great, that Soul Cages record that Sting put out in the early 90s or something. He addresses uh, his father passing away and some, it's a great collection of songs and, mm -hmm. um, one of them is uh, "Why Should I Cry for You," and it's there's some powerful stuff in it. I, I've uh, mm -hmm. listened to that record quite a bit, not even knowing. You know, the interesting thing about my my pop was that, you know, when when I found out the you know who he was and would learn a bit about him from you know his sisters or my mom or my uncles or family members that because it was kind of like a secret when the secret was out, then they could kind of, uh, share with me, you know, who this guy was and how he was. And, um, you know, he was a musician and a singer and a, and a, uh, road horse, you know, he had some cool stuff going on. Um, and, and he was by no means perfect either. Uh, and he died of MS in the early, early eighties, I, I believe. And, um, so, uh, you know, to, to the, the fact that he, so I have this like image, this father, this kind of, uh, I would say like this spiritual energy up there somewhere where I could feel he would, you know, look after me or sometimes I'd feel him playing certain songs or certain places and I'd feel like his energy, like, like I think he's watching his kid right now, you know. Um, but what I was going to say about it is, you know, he had, he lived and, and had, we got a relationship and, you know, who knows what, where his trajectory was headed. But what I was going to say is he could have turned into a complete knucklehead, <laughs> you know, he, he could have been a, an asshole drunk who tried to pick up on groupies backstage, like, you know, who knows? Um, so in a weird way, he died young enough to, to not have fucked me over personally. Mm -hmm. Um, so he, he kind of has a, he gets to be a little bit on the, a pedestal, which, which I'm, I'm happy for him for that. Yeah. Do you, yeah, well, do you uh, know whether, do you know if, if your dad was a writer? Because I, I of, of all that you possess, uh, I, I think your writing, whether it's, your music, uh, just if you're writing a piece or something that you just want to get out there, even a text. I mean, you're so thoughtful, and and the way that you compose things. I mean, that was your mom that way. Is your mom that way? What, 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 what was your dad the kind of guy that was good with the 
the written word or, or putting things together? Do you have any idea about that? Well, I guess what I'd base that the answer to that on would be uh, some of the recordings that I've found. And you know what? There's not an original in there. If he wrote stuff, and and then I and I got some manuscript uh, music printed out that that he had written out. Um, you know, he would play in clubs and a little bit of a crooner type, but. Um, it, it was it was always kind of cover song. So so he wasn't a, a writer as far as I know. He was a, a writer as far as horses, but not a writer. And and my mom was a reader. You know, she she instilled that into me pretty heavy. And and um, I, I grew up in the Chicago school systems in the early seventies. So they had they had a pretty I had a pretty good education there before i moved to when we moved to california i think i was in fourth grade and i think i was in eighth grade reading um and the interesting thing about that is by the time i was a sophomore in high school in california i was dumb as everybody else (laughs) (laughs) they caught up (laughs) i I figured out how to kind of cruise you know and our high school was close enough where you can see if the waves were breaking at lunchtime and whatever class i ended up having fifth or sixth period i i never made it to those very often <laughs> but but uh, i mean for you ed i i just i just know you I, I we met as as older men i mean i i think the the one common thread you and i had when we ran into each other when i first met you and that wait was it off the elevator it was that recent <laughs> i thought we yeah, met a while exactly back. you know i you know what i mean yeah okay we were we, but we were dads by then and i and i think about i i think about you know what connected us was your love of baseball and the fact that you're a father to two girls i'm a father to two girls now two girls and two more boys, uh, but you are not at all what I thought you would be seeing you from the outside and then getting to know you. I know you as one of the most thoughtful, uh, engaged friends, parents. I, I, you, you are, you're a special person. You remember everything. You're highly intelligent. I don't believe you that the, you were as dumb as everybody else. I feel like you were always a little bit wiser than everybody else. What, what you know, how, how would you describe yourself? Well, these are very nice things to hear. Um, did you hear that? I is there some diagnosis? Have I been diagnosed with? Shut something? up! Just answer. The <laughs> yes, and shut up. Yes, um, just tell him, Joe. Just you, just tell him. No, I. <laughs> the, I, I just I love being around you. I love your energy. I love talking to you on the phone. You're, you you listen. You're a great listener. Maybe that's what I'm getting at. Like you care genuinely about people, and I'm wondering if you know where that comes from. Uh, if that's true, then I guess it would be, um, uh, going back to that writing thing, because I think to write, you need to observe and, um, you know, that was, that was the one weird thing when the band got, uh, kind of recognized to a level that 
your energy it, it, it just it was a little it got a little harder to be a, a, an observer because you were being observed um so that was uh i remember mm, that's feeling cool. that happen and that was that was strange but um i guess maybe it's it's it comes from something of that ilk but i i I also think part of your question is what what would be like a misnomer or some kind of, and I boy that would be the last thing that I would ever try to think about is what other people think about me. I just I that might have been another thing that that happened early on when we were playing and and getting this strange amount of attention uh was was may, may, at that point maybe you were thinking like what do people think like what and then trying to kind of be something that maybe they wanted either they wanted you to be or something you wanted them to think you are <laughs> mm-hmm. but it wasn't actually you and i think it wasn't really until like into the wild i started touring solo and I remember having like a month to kind of get this thing ready, like, you know, play beautiful theaters, 2000 seats and tour and the gigs are booked. And, and then maybe something happened in life. And then all of a sudden rehearsal got your practice got cut to two weeks. And I kept thinking there'd be a, like a person since it was just going to be me up there. there. There'd be like a, like a DJ personality that i'd come up with or some kind of like protection you know something and and i kept thinking i would kind of come up with this almost like an act that would happen and and uh kind of galvanize the performance in some kind of way or deliver it in some kind of way that i was i thought it would be good to construct something and in the end, I just ran out of time and it was time to go. And I just walked out that night and just just gave it what I got, which was just me. <laughs> and it it was in it was in Canada, I think it was in Vancouver. And I and I just played two small shows in Seattle, like warm-up gigs. I two this little room down the street, a hundred people. Five bucks, a hundred people, ten rows of ten people, and it was terrible. I made a bunch of mistakes. I mean, people were too close, you know. Uh, my neighbors came to the show and they sat right directly in front of me, about four feet from my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and and they said after they said after they said, you know, it's interesting. You don't really look at people in the crowd. You don't look out. And I and I thought. Well, that's because it was you. <laughs> you were right <laughs> fuck in front of me. I'm sorry, Mark and Carol. I love you. But it was just kind of, uh, it was just a little strange. Because um, we're neighbors. We're, we're friends. We hang. But, um, but yeah, that was the thing. And then, you know, one other great bit of just would have never predicted it was you know and this is why it's good to kind of be in tune or or be lucky enough to be paying attention but we had a night off before the before leaving the next day and bruce 
uh, Bruce Springsteen was playing in Seattle. And we, uh, after sound check, we were hanging out in his room and uh, I think I gave him an ukulele. He's playing ukulele. We're having a, a, a talk. Uh, Bruce Springsteen said he never really had an ukulele and, and yet he's playing it perfect and talking the whole time. <laughs> 45 minutes, maybe an hour and a half. I can't remember. Um, but he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm playing, uh, starting these solo gigs, uh, tomorrow actually. And, uh, he said, uh, he says, wow, that's crazy. He said, just you. I said, yeah, just me, you know, you instruments different, you know, I'm trying to change the dynamics by playing, you know, ukulele guitar, electric guitar, you know, organ. I can't remember if I was using that at the time, but just kind of sonically keep the dynamics going. And, um, but he said, just you. And I said, yep. He said, that's good. He, he said, uh, because here's the, he gave me this one, this one gem of advice, which just changed everything. And he said, um, as I was saying, I, I was making mistakes and those first couple little mini gigs. He said, you know, there's a real power when there's just one person up there. There's like a, a it's it's terrifying for the audience, even. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a tight wire act. And um there's just something that there's an intimacy in it and there's a power in it. And that's it, it was just the one of the greatest things to hear because all of a sudden you didn't feel is vulnerable. It gave you something. It gave you a mm -hmm. a gear. It it gave you a uh you know, it, it, it gave you some something substantial <laughs> to even just imagine or put into place, you know, it'd be like, you know, getting great hitting advice from Ted Williams or something. It just gave you something. And then and then um there you go. That that was that was but I definitely needed that. I needed that. I didn't know what it was. But do you care? It. Do you do you care what people think about you? Just in general, you know, or do you because my dad Kurt you know, my stepdad, he, he, the oh, one thing man. that I, I, env I, I envy most about him is he just doesn't give a shit what people think, you know, and that's, it's, it's so liberating and I don't have that. You know, I, 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 that's part of my process is not worrying so much about the perception of me, you know, I can't control how people are going to think or feel. All I can control is myself Kurt has this incredible ability to not give a fuck about what people think. And it just frees him up in his art. You know, do you, do you care what people think about you? I mean, I certainly care what people think about politics. I, I certainly care about how, what, what people think about other people. I, and I don't know when it changed, but as far as caring what they think about me, I, I just don't, I don't have, mm -hmm. I don't have the bandwidth for it. I, I just don't. I, it, it seems like it would hinder, you know, I, I, I want them to think that I'm playing well. <laughs> I like to want them to, to feel a connection when, um, when we do. But, um, you know, and, and people will say really nice things to you. Not as nice as Joe has said today, but, <laughs> I've, you know, they say nice things about what your music has meant to them. and it's it's really powerful and i i i 
take it all in, but it's, um, uh, so it's nice to hear good things, but if someone were to, you know, I think it was someone really close to me and they had some either constructive criticism or they were just pissed off or what I, I would want to know. And, and I would, I would care. Um, but as far as anything outside the, the, the close circle uh, of what someone who doesn't actually know me, what, what they would think I would not uh, ever want to care. And, and it wasn't always that way. I, I can't remember when that changed. I think it was just kind of age and experience and, and, and maybe, I think maybe some accomplishments, you know, I, I think maybe just having some, uh, you know, accomplishments under my belt made me feel like, well, now I don't have to, I don't have to give a fuck anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, success obviously allows you to be that way to some degree. But I knew, know, I do know you as, as I've mentioned before, this great dad. And this whole quarantine time has allowed us all to take hit the pause button as as awful as it's been for so many people. And people have battled this virus. Uh, on top of that. I think this time out has, you know, it's brought me closer to my girls. It's brought my girls closer to their new brothers. Uh, and and I wonder, you know, what the silver linings have been for you and Jill and the girls as as everybody has just kind of gone into time out here. Well, all those all that being said about me being a good dad, they have a, a great, great mom. So um and 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 I think what's been good about this is being able to co-parent a little closer and not fall into some of the other patterns that we might have gotten into for better or worse, but just to, to, to get through and do the best job you can as a couple and as um, parents, you might do a good cop, bad cop thing. And then I might end up being the good cop more more often than you know patterns right and and i think that um i think just kind of be, having it be more immediate and consistent and linear and intense and riding the waves together um you know like tandem surfing it's been a little uh it's it's been different in a good way on that and and i hope these are lessons that we can maintain and and um uh if things return back to some of the old schedules of me being gone for bits here and there um that we can we can maintain all that and 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 keep it as part of our process but um you know like father's day i got three cards independent of each other that said uh that said you know, this quarantine thing has sucked, but it's been really great having you around. And, and I didn't even know that they, they missed me that much. <laughs> so that was, mm-hmm. that was really powerful stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, who knew that, that, uh, it was actually, uh, uh the presence <laughs> made the heart grow fonder. That was, I, I, yeah. I always felt that, you know, going away, you know, month at a time, you know, and, and, um, Joe, you know how it is. I don't, I don't know how much you travel, Oliver, but, um, you know, it was, uh, 
I thought we worked it pretty good where, um, you know, I'd be gone and then they'd appreciate when I was back home. But I, I think all the tricky thing was always the, the re-entry, you know, re-entry always yeah. took a little bit. And then also preparing to leave again takes a little bit. So if you're a month on month off, there's really only that two week period in the middle that, that feels like you're really, um, you know, as a, as a family kind of galvanized. And, and now we've had, uh, four or five months and, and much more to come. So it's, um, there are, th- that would be that silver lining you were talking about. Did you feel, did you feel like it was a sacrifice though, that you were making? Meaning of course it was your music and it's what you love and it's your heart, but you knew that you had to be away from your family and your kids. I mean, as, did you feel like you were making a, any, a sacrifice in a, in a way? To, to go know, out and play? The other. Yeah. To yeah, go out and play yeah. work well? I don't, I, I wouldn't, if I felt like it was a sacrifice or the family was being sacrificed, I, I wouldn't do yeah. it. So okay. I, I think that, you know, we're lucky compared to athletes or especially baseball players that, that have these schedules that they, what is it? 162 games and 28 days off or something crazy. What is it, Joe? Yeah. Insane. I mean, that's, that's basically it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot. And, and I, I'm, I think all three of us on this call feel the same way because Ali, I've heard you say you've not taken jobs because you knew it would take you away from your family for long 100%. stretches of time. Yeah. And, and Eddie, you don't really have that luxury at times. You have to go promote a record. You have to go on tour. You have to do your thing. And, you know, I, I, I would imagine at some point you were taking them along with you, but you what you just said hit home with me because you the re-entry is hard, and then by the time that settles into a new norm or you get into a, a comfortable feeling, now you're just preparing to leave again. And and so, like you said, presence made the heart grow fonder, and, and you know, I'm finding the same thing over these last few months. Um and well, part of me, sorry to, to interrupt, Joe, but part, right, but part of me, part of the reason why I'm such like a hyper dad, almost to, I think, a fault in a way, I sometimes attach my own emotions and feelings to way, the way my kids are feeling, and I, I can't detach from that, and I've had issues with that, especially early on in having kid when I was having, uh, with my firstborn, especially, um, but no, for me, it, I, I just, because my dad wasn't around, I felt like if I was not there, even for a week or two, I would be, it would be to the detriment of my children, which is not true. It, that was my own psychology. That was my own shit that I was dealing with. But it was very prevalent, especially early on as a dad, you know. Um, I don't feel it as much now. But that was big for me. It was. It would hurt me. You know, it would hurt me to be away for two weeks. I would feel like I'm fucking them up. You know. Well, I, I think also, and again, if you can be fairly in control, um, you know, and with band tours, you know, we 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 kind of work with everybody's families and everybody's uh, demands uh, as you know, fathers. Uh, to create a schedule that that everybody kind of agrees on. Okay, we're taking this on, and it's not just you know can the band guys take it, it's can our families take it on, and so we're we're able to do that. But I think you know as long as you're 
paying attention and being, you know, hyper aware of it even, you know, and, and knowing that it's not just also you're making a living and, and making it nice and college in the future and you know, all these things. Um, there's also the thing about like, it's our special purpose. <laughs> That's what it's kind of a thing that makes us in some ways who we are. And, you know, and then, you know, mom has a special purpose and the kids have their special purpose, you know, that we, we all kind of are aware and work. So everybody has that space to be their best selves, you know, which which Mm -hmm. that's going to come from, you know, accomplishments and, um, you know, being part of, you know, movements and and helping people and and um so it's uh you know it's a balance so but but carving that space to to be able to be who you are in the family construct is is i think so important do you do you know that you just referenced the movie the jerk wasn't that from the jerk oh mom i found what my special purpose is <laughs> oh baby, you'll find what your special purpose is. Yeah, that's that was. Uh, <laughs> Don't try to get subtle bullshit in here. I know what you're referencing. You got me on that. Stuff. Yeah, our special yeah. purpose. Did you always want to be a dad, or was that something that just you know what I mean? Like, did you did it just happen? <laughs> Well, there was some romance involved, um, mm-hmm. and still is, <laughs> but, uh, that's the good news. But, um, mm-hmm. I, I would, um, when I think that how grateful I am to, um, have these, these, uh, these daughters in my life, I'm, I can be grateful to, uh, to their mama. Cause you know, I, I, I think she was the one that would be willing to to commit before I would be mainly because again I I was really wrapped up in in um my special purpose in writing and recording and <laughs> playing live you know so that you know that's one thing you know I I I think as far as being a parent or or me in particular or somebody who's of that artistic bent, it's a little bit of a curse and you're, you know, kind of, kind of always have a song in your head or always, or, or witnessing the world or reading the paper or hearing a story or hearing somebody behind you uh, in a restaurant and just wanting to, to write, wanting to write, wanting to write. And I remember being on the floor with the kids, you know, playing a game, but I was really, I mean, I mean, I'm, with shoots and ladders it's fucking mindless so of course i could write a song in my head while i'm playing <laughs> shoots and ladders um or that's candy, the title like, of the candy song candy by the way yeah but yeah. by the way you land. should not much rhymes with Candyland or yeah ladders. but shoots and shoots and ladders should be a a, a, a title track of, of a song of yours for sure shoots it just sounds good shoots and ladders <laughs> you know what I, yeah. I remember hanging there was a, a few summer well it was a while back maybe 15 years ago now and and um 
the summer, uh, my friend Chris Chelios and Laird Hamilton and, and John McEnroe, they, um, I can't remember who the other, you know, they're extremely competitive experts at what they do and and but extremely competitive john McEnroe, laird hamilton i mean these are extremely competitive and i thought if if i could just get everyone to throw in you know like 2500 bucks so there was you know 10 grand on the line and then just watch him play shoots and ladders (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you can't takes, be serious takes no there's nothing wrong. you can do but turn the cards yeah. and i just yeah. thought that would be just fascinating i never got around I to love it that idea <laughs> somewhere I, I would be scared McEnroe uh would flip the game board over and nobody would remember <laughs> where they were and then they'd have to call the bet off mm-hmm. you're they, i i've always heard my whole life that Rock stars or actors want to be athletes, and then the reverse is true. You, Ed, from what I know, and and I mean, I know plenty. Would you cash it all in if you could play one game as a real Chicago Cub? If you could one, just one, one game. I'm talking about your career, nothing else. Just Pearl Jam, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You get four at-bats in a real daytime game at Wrigley Field, and that's it. You get one. That's all. Would you at, least give all the World Se- at least give them the World Series. All right. Nope. I want a Tuesday nope. in May. Listen, it, there's, no, there's no fucking way ever. And, but unless it was a World Series game, a game seven. Yeah. And if you won it and with a walk-off grand slam in the 12th, mm-hmm. you know, if that one game could have been like my David Ross game, <laughs> game seven, Chicago yeah. Cubs, they've never won it, mm-hmm. then maybe, but still, no. 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 Uh, so, well, let's just take it a step further. The success that you have in the music world, if you could have the same success as a Cub, would you switch that? No, I, 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 the, the, to me, as much as baseball is and, and, and Wrigley Field and Chicago Cubs, and I mean, it, it's really important to me, like a, like a, like a limb that I'm fond, fond of and use often. Like it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's extremely, it's been an important part of my life and, and a great dedication. And I've, I've experienced such incredible. And they have so many great friendships through it and experiences. And just, where, where did that come from, by the way, Ed? Like, where where did that did passion for for the Cubs and sports come from? Well, let me let me go back and just say about the music thing, though. Just just to, to yeah. clarify that it's just you know the element, and I've talked about it before, but but the the art, well, art form, I mean, you know, whatever. It's it is you know, but you it have is. you have volume you have velocity you have you know some lyrical content um you have the physicality of playing and then and then when you have an audience and and we've been so fortunate but a a, an energetic audience and they're feeding you or you give them something and then they give it back and then it just keeps heightening and 
raising up and then there's a, a element of improvisation and you can move it and you're communicating with your band members and you're you're exploring things live you know that are happening in the moment and i mean all that stuff i you just can't beat it on any whether i'm watching a band or especially being able to be fortunate enough to be the 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 kind of nucleus to that energy it's just it's just nothing like it and and as i'm saying this, i'm realizing that we have not done that in a while and and getting kind of shaky here it's just crazy to think that we don't know when it it might happen again and and mm. and terrifying and and can i uh ali i'm just gonna go on a little tangent it's so no. terrifying right now you know i woke up anxious today been anxious all day and and i think because you're waking up hearing that you know someone's discrediting fauci who's been the the one voice of reason or seeming to be logical and and being very cautious and explaining the severity and what we're up against as a whole as a country as a planet and to hear them discredit him at the same time for it seems obvious political reasons they want to open up you know our communities in a time when it is obviously not safe and we're obviously now we're 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 peaking after having never even flattened the curve to half and and now they're talking about sending our kids to school and our mm -hmm. teachers when you know it's and and then to hear that they're taking they'll be taking control of the information out of the hands of the CDC and putting it in charge of the White House and they will, will meet out what they think that we should be hearing as these final months before the election. It's, it's terrifying. And I'm, I'm upset that of all the things, it's people, we've been in the streets for many reasons lately, and they're all good reasons. And we're going through some some changes here and growing pains, and we need to keep following through. We, we've opened the wound. We, we, you know, our chest is open. It's open heart surgery. Let's fix this shit before we sew it up again. We're halfway across the channel. Let's not turn around. It's the same distance. So it's such an important time and and to think that with all this outrage i think there should actually even be more and and in regards to something like you know 10 days ago or something you just kind of read and then you mention to a friend and then you mention to your wife and you say did you did you just read that we're not allowed to go to europe right now did you just read that we're we are quarantined in our own country and then and then the next day you read up a little bit and you're like, yeah, that's really real. That's real. I guess that's happening. But there was no like, are you fucking kidding me? This is, this is reaching like a tragedy of epic proportions. We have to get our shit together. And where's the friggin' leadership? And instead of this blame shifting that we have, it's, it's a really intense time. And I just hope that we're all able to pay attention 
certainly all able to, you know, getting ready to, to vote and make sure our vote counts and make sure we're not getting misinformed or bots are taking over or they're, you know, nefarious people are getting involved in our elections for political purposes. We need to all be so active right now. Um, and as weird as it has been, it's going to get weirder in the next five, six months, even after November 3rd. It's, it's, we, it's all hands on deck. <laughs> yeah. It, it's Oliver and I talk about it every week and, uh, you know, I'm glad you went there. I'm glad you talk about it. I, I can just see you how much you think about this, how on your heart it is. And and it's always with you seem to have been about the bigger picture. You know, I, I think I, I see there I see a lot of similarities. There, there are differences, but my dad used his platform to do so much good for so many people that needed his help. And I feel like you have been about that for the longest time now and and you have a voice and you're not willing to not take advantage of the platform that you have and and I and I think about you know what you said your livelihood and the energy you get from people being in an arena you know we were just talking about it before you came on about sports and coming back and you know they're going to start playing baseball and there's going to be nobody in the stands and you know, that's where we are in this country and in this world. And it's just to think that, you know, in a handful of months, we sit here in this position. Um, you know, I, I wonder if if you ever go there mentally that you may not for the longest amount of time, for a long period of time, be able to feel that energy from people in an arena doing what you love to do and doing what you're so good at doing. Well, you know, the other, the other thing that, as part of that live experience is that, you know, and we're, we're blessed with these larger size crowds, you know, is, is there's an energy to a, a large, large group of people. It, there's a, there's a real incredible energy just due to the fact that you're witnessing thousands, tens of thousands of people agreeing on something yes <laughs> you know, mm, great just, great oh, that's so well put i love that yeah just to see them singing along dancing within wow, the same kind cool. of wave and 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 agreeing on something you know like mm. six people trying to order a pizza that's that's hard you know, so <laughs> 10, you know, 10, 20, Brazil, South America, you're playing 100,000 people, uh, you know, as far as the eye can see. And then some. And you can see the waves of, you know, the, the drum beat. You can see the, the, the sound travel as they clap hands. Like, it's just incredible. You can actually see the sound wave in the people clapping, like, like the, uh, queen at wembley uh stadium for live aid you could actually see the sound wave that it's just an incredible thing to witness and you know that was kind of an antidote to and and one that i would certainly be useful now in this um this 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 administration that seems hell-bent on dividing us at a time when we really are being tested on the, the lesson of 
look, if, if it affects one person, it affects all of us. If it affects a, a certain community, it affects all of us. If it affects, um, you know, you know, all our, our, our different, the things that kind of bond us, but we each have, you know, our, our kind of separate either communities or sexual orientations or, but, but if, if it's not, you know, if, if we're not all healthy and surviving, then, then we're all at, at risk. And this, the, mm-hmm. the pandemic is, is really put that in our faces that in a way that I don't think the modern world has ever experienced. Obviously not. It's yeah. And, and I think that's the part the the isolation, you know, the, the divisiveness and, and I, you're right. I, I think about that when people ask me now about sports, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that not everybody's a sports fan, but at a time like this, we need something to bring people together. You bring your band brings people together. You bring people together. Sports, these communal activities that bring people from different races together, as you said, sexual orientations together, from different political beliefs together, giving high fives to people in the stands or singing as one to your music. I mean, that's what's needed now more than ever. And that's the heartbreaking part of this whole thing is shelter in place means you're on your own and, and you're not really, you can't even smile at somebody from behind a mask. The most simple, you're walking down an aisle in a grocery store or you're, you know, I, I try to be as friendly as I can to everybody I see. And just to flash somebody a smile in these days is, is so vitally important. And yet we're all wearing masks. So nobody can even, can even see that. So it's, 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 it's like an Orwellian, like weird kind of, Joe, you got to learn to smile with your eyes, Joe. It's a practice. I've noticed that I, I, I've noticed I've been giving a lot of thumbs up, like in the grocery store, like thumbs. I feel like Ronnie yeah. Wood walking through the backstage, like, Hey, <laughs> thumbs up. Or there was a- Simon Cowell does that a lot on America's got talent. Like, I love you. Here's my thumbs up. I, that's fine. That's what I'm going to do. I'm still going to keep smiling, doing it. I'm still, even though you said okay. that, I'm uh, still going to. Uh, there was Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson. Ah. Yeah. Hey, I'm thumbs up. <laughs> that, I, okay, fine. There was a woman walking out of uh, Target the other day. My daughter and I were walking in, and she had a, a young daughter with her, um, now this this cool African-American woman. And, and her shirt, just black shirt with big white writing, just said, stop fucking killing us. And, you know, I nodded, but then realized, like, she can't, you know, and I'm not close enough to see the eyes because, again, we're keeping six feet apart. But, man, double thumbs up on that one. That was. <laughs> I've <laughs> even gone to the point where I've, I will take my mask off after I pass at a safe distance and go, hey, I was smiling. Or, you know, in your case, love the shirt. I'm with you. You know, or they don't they is, don't but, they don't yeah. smile back. And then you're like. Hey, I was smiling, asshole. Right, exactly. I I do that, you know, in in olden times, like you know, last winter. <laughs> if I if I smile or say something and they don't smile back, I'm like, can I get that smile back, please? <laughs> Fuck you. I'm smiling. I don't know you. I I just gave you a smile out of nowhere, and you didn't smile back. I want it back. Come on, Joe. They're free. Keep giving them out. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say one more that thing was, about yeah, sports, Joe, do. is that you said that um, about sports and, and having people have a reason to come together. And 
and I, I and 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 then uh, keep from being isolated. And and I really hope that's what happens, especially with with baseball coming up. Because because if it were to be just a distraction, that that part would make me nervous. If it's just a people looking for a distraction or some respite from you know all this insanity i i understand and i i feel the need for it <laughs> I totally understand and agree but i'm really hoping that that the issues can stay at the forefront and maybe by us being uh kind of gathered again together around the campfire uh whether it's baseball um or basketball that that, that sport um that we can still you know there, there comes it becomes something positive and 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 we can kneel before games and we can't you know all these things happen that that keep keep kind of issues at hand because again it's it's going to get real intense and well well actually in your opinion you know how do we do that how do we keep it in the forefront because honestly this for me personally has been a, a big shift for me and i have been educating myself for the last three weeks i have been inundated with literature and I am fascinated now with history more than I ever have been. You know, I do feel like we're culturally shifting. I think that there's something bigger happening here. But at the same time, we live in such a fast-paced society, and it's so easy to get right back to what we were doing and how we were thinking. You know, how do we, how do we keep the momentum you know, how do we how do we keep that at the forefront? I think just staying engaged, just staying engaged, like like an athlete working out every day. You know, it's like our job, right? It's our job. And, and you know, we need to do it not just for ourselves. We're, we're doing it for everybody. You know, uh, it's 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 just one of those times. And, and, and that's a powerful thing. Like we get to be at bat this generation or these, these two generations or coming up on that are alive now, three generations, it's art. It's, it's world series. It's, it's on. Mm. And, and our, you know, what we're up against, you know, the opposing team is, you know, the destruction of our planet <laughs> and human existence. I mean, this is, it's, it, this is kind of game seven, right now is this is this is real and you know anyone who again tries to distract or says that it's going to magically go away when april comes you know let's let's hold these people accountable you know they're going to say that stuff and make us feel better and and it was just a panacea a bullshit line of bullshit that you know we're we're as fucked now as we as as we were at the beginning um, so I, I think just staying engaged and, and understanding and don't let this, you know, uh, distractions, meaning mis misinformation or, you know, the, and, and being a little bit media savvy, you know, teaching our kids to be media savvy, you know, read the whole thing and then find out what the headline means and then, and then find another source, you know, <laughs> make sure you're not just. And also not in an echo chamber of only people who are like-minded and, you know, you're getting your news feed on a, you know, our little echo chamber machines that are in our pockets 24-7.
and next door beds at night, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think really uh, becoming a little bit more media savvy would be a, a very helpful thing. And, you know, I'm not sure how people communicate, you know, with Instagrams and TikToks and um, Facebooks and, but I, 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 for all the positives um, there are, I, I think there are equal, if not more negatives, if you're not careful. And that's, that's a guy or, or, you know, we're, we're parents of two, you know, young women that, that uh, are very vulnerable in, in that kind of um, atmosphere. So it's a lot to be uh, conscious of. <laughs> How, how, how do you deal with that with your girls, actually? You know what I mean? Like, how, do you do you just put your faith in them and trust them? Or is there, do you, oh, how do you, you know, it's a hard no, place no. to navigate. No, no? <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they have to be monitored and, and know that they're being monitored. And, and they, they get upset quite often when, uh, you know, we, we have to take it away. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, you can, you can kind of, you know, it would be like, uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I think it chemically has, it, it affects their, their mood, it affects their actions, it, it affects their kind of physical being, um, kind of going down the rabbit holes of technology. And, and there's some, <laughs> I, we've had some huge laughs and enjoyment out of you know some kind of TikTok thing and whatever but but at the same time it's it's uh you know it can i mean i know that we probably had like atari when i was a kid some kind of yeah gaming sis <laughs> pong or something that, that pong, pong dude i love pong <laughs> indoors like you know like we were yeah we were so we were, yeah but we were outriding so, bikes I mean, we we're yeah. out riding bikes. We were playing football on the front lawn or whatever we were doing. But I mean, you I, gotta, I hope you got to strike that balance, man. It's about balance. I got three kids and, and I deal with the same shit right now. My older boys are sort of getting into more technology. And, and look, I can't just deny it altogether, but I need to I need to be the one to find the balance for them because I don't want them to stay inside all day. That's why I'm in Colorado right now. That's why we've moved to Colorado at times in our lives. Cause I'm like, get on your dirt bikes, ride your motorcycles, get, go on your mountain bikes. Let's go fish. Let's go do this. And if they can have that balance, then I feel uh, my opinion, they can be more, they can be well-rounded, you know, but I've also got a boy who's going through puberty right now. Shit is changing. You know, things are developing. The girls are coming into the picture. You know, there's some inappropriate shit that's going on. But at the same time, I'm thinking about, oh, man, when I was 12, where was I? I don't want to be hypocritical. You know, I go through, I, I, I sort of cycle through these man, questions. Man, don't put them on your scale. Jesus Christ. <laughs> do, do the world a favor. God, don't say Sorry. back when I was 13. I no, no, have a higher standard for your own kid. You fuck. Well, up. I was, uh, yeah, I know. I, yeah, I, I, I should, I should. Cause I was, yeah, I was, I was a little early. I was a yeah, little early. He was a little bit early. I'll tell you some stories later, Eddie. You'll blow your mind. Even you, uh, you were, you, Oliver, you were rolling 
that Cheech and Chong album that came with the the uh, two two foot rolling paper. Totally. You you probably stole an ounce of your dear dad. Well, I don't know if it was Bill. His pot. No, no, he's Alex Casson's dad. A two foot joint with stolen weed. Right. Then you, throw some hookers. Ed, throw some hookers in there when he was about fifteen. Now 16. you're starting to get sixteen. Now you're starting to get no, the but picture. but let's let's be clear for a second because we got to put this into context. It wasn't I wasn't paying for a hooker. I had a relationship with a high class escort at the age of sixteen, and she was twenty six. And it I I want to create a TV show around this because it was a time in my life in the nineties in Los Angeles that was informed everything that I am today in the best possible way, honestly. There was a lot except, there. Except for that <laughs> persistent drip. No, everything I took penicillin. Crap. I took penicillin. And the clap. And the, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah I'm, no, I'm not passing jokes. Were we just talking okay. about like climate change and how to fix the world? Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> exactly. we were. We were. And you got a 16-year-old with a high-class <laughs> escort. That's, that's what you're dealing with on the other side of Zoom here. Joe, you you took us here. We, you know, you you just took you took us there. You know, it was we were being very uh, articulate and thoughtful, and you know, you took us down I'm the sorry. old uh, Heidi Fleiss escort situation. Uh huh. God. But I just wanted to be clear that this is not a sixteen-year-old. You know, I, I paying for a high-class fucking hooker. This is a situation that I got into. You know, where I was having a relationship. With yeah, it's woman. clear. We got it. We got okay. the picture. Okay, I just, I picture. just want to be clear. I just well, and what was clear. yeah, you're clear. And what was your job at 16? What were you? What, what was your occupation? Well, I got I was doing I, uh, him, no, Oliver. Oliver. Like, oh, I, yeah. No, I got I got expelled from high school uh, because I was I cheated on a on a chemistry test, which was fucking bullshit. I, I, that's a whole other story. And I met this woman who was an assistant. And uh, she, it's a long story, but she turned out to be, you know, this high class escort, but she was very beautiful. And she went to Columbia, graduated Columbia and spoke French and German and was in- incredibly beautiful. And um, I was at her apartment, you know, on Martell and Melrose. And I sat on her bed early on and two grand fell out of her purse. And I said, what is that? And she says, oh, it's nothing. It's I owe it to a friend. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't believe you. And she said, do you know what's going on in the news right now with Heidi Fleiss? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, well, I am one of her girls. And I was like, okay. And then that started about an eight to 10-month relationship with her. And I brought all my young friends into the mix. And it was a Wait, big, I've seen crazy this. party. This is, this, is the, this is the script of Risky Business. I've seen this. No, well, I'm creating. Then she a, stole a, your she stole your Fabergé egg, and then you had to <laughs> use the money to get it back before your parents no, came. No, I I am I am developing a a show around this part of my life because honestly, if we want to get into it just for a second, it was less about being salacious and 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 you know just fucking a bunch of you know beautiful people at the age of sixteen. It was. She was truly in love with me and she was scared and didn't know how to deal with it. And I was in my, she was my sexual awakening, you know, five months before I had just lost my virginity. 
So she was my Eddie's second partner. Eddie's been off the partner. call for three minutes. Eddie's been I know, gone. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> this reminds me of the time. I know, I w- we can talk about this story later. I Land guess, the plane. <laughs> this reminds me of a time when we were hanging out at Murphy's after a Cubs game in 2016, and Eddie's playing guitar, and I'm the one singing in front of a nice little room of people. And I said, how mad are you people right now? It's like two in the morning. <laughs> That I'm the one singing and he's not. And we've got Eddie Vedder on our podcast and we're listening to, you know, my tutor part two with starring Oliver Hudson. <laughs> well, that's your special a, it was, purpose. It was a fascinating time in my life. God. Unbelievable. <laughs> Who, Eddie, were your male father figures? Once you got into music, was it Petty? Was it Neil Young? Who did you look to for guidance when you were a younger guy uh, making your way in the world today? Takes everything you got. Well, it certainly was. It it came from uh, music. And I would say Pete Townsend because, um, you know, an album like Quadrophenia, it was actually like, it was, it was, and it wasn't, that wasn't the first record by any means that I had gotten by them. And then, and then it comes out. I don't think I got it the day it came out. I think it came out in, uh, I can't remember the exact years, but um, that just seemed to address exactly <laughs> what I was going through. And I know I'm not alone. There, there's so many people that, that that record was um, a huge lifeline for them. And um it was it was it always astounded me that that, that this this father well it wasn't a father figure it was just i I couldn't believe that that somebody from you know a whole nother country which you know when i was a kid and kind of small beginnings like you know europe or something was is is seemed as far away and distant as you know jupiter or something like it, it wasn't so unattainable um and uh, I, I just, I, I just always marveled at, at how closely things resonated. And you know, that's one thing about Pete Townsend lyrics um, and Bruce. And you know, there's so many, or or you know, Johnny Lydon, Joe Strummer, uh, uh, Michael Stipe. You know, all these these great writers. Um, do you write with that in mind, thinking that you could be doing the very same thing for somebody? You just write what you write. No, yeah, no, that would be too heavy. That'd be way too heavy. Um, you try to get the best out of you that you can. That's for sure. Um, and I and I think I'm I, I could be a harsh critic. You know, lyrics aren't done until they're done. <laughs> yeah, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, all those lyrics. You know, what's interesting about them is that you hear them as a kid and have a certain relationship to them. And then as you get older, if, if the lyrics such a, a great lyric or strong one, then as you get older and maybe the age of what, what they were when they wrote it, you know, there's some yeah. songs off who by numbers, all mm-hmm. of a sudden they have whole new meanings. And, um, but, but yet the song was so multifaceted and, and delivered the goods on, on the, the lyrical content that, that they're kind of, timeless and they they affect you in different ways at different times i mean that's a real remarkable thing and then of course you know having a relationship 
you know, years later to to have um, the, the 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 craziest blessing to to have these people in your life as as friends and confidants and supporters and um, it's just been one of life's greatest thrills, you know, greatest uh, fortunes. Um, and uh, I've been texting with Bruce a lot. He says to say hi to you, Joe. <laughs> um, we, uh, we've been listening, uh, Bruce and I have been listening to, I think it's okay that I say, we've been listening to all the World Series since, since 2016 after the Cubs are in. 17 18 19 every year we've, we've listened to or we've we've watched the games together uh bruce and i we text and then we we talk about joe and then i'm texting joe and then we're <laughs> they have actually texted me words ollie during a game <laughs> to say so i i know on the other end somewhere bruce springsteen McEnroe the same uh and then vetter and I'm doing the World Series. I'm waiting for the quid pro quo here where mm-hmm. I can text him something on stage and he can, you know, give me a little, yes. little shout I, out. Oh, I can do that. In a subtle way. I, that, that I do that with I you. Know. I do that with you too. So, look, I I'm, not, I, I'm not the status of Bruce and Eddie, but, you know, let's include me in that. I, I, I definitely text you it's things a to long say. List. I want to be known. I, no I want to be known. Work. Um, but I wanted to touch on one on one quick thing because you were talking about sort of timeless lyrics. Is there anyone now, current, more contemporary, that are that is writing music, writing lyrics that will in in twenty five, thirty, fifty years be timeless? You know, I mean, is there anyone that you are feeling that has that ta- that kind of talent or that kind of heart? Well, I I think the lyric they haven't played in quite a while, but um, some of the greatest records ever made. Um, are ba- uh, by a band called Fugazi, and then um, the lyricist, uh, well, the um, uh, Ian Ian Mackay, who now has a band called the Evens, um, and it, it just just incredible. That'll that'll be the stuff for me that will always be be timeless. And um, uh, I think Jack White. Um, the last Rack and Tours record, everything he's put out. I mean, he's I, I mean, he's already a, a a legend. It's not like a new guy on the scene by any means, but he's just been the. He's such a, uh, he's a powerful force, man. He's a, he's really um, everything you could want out of a out of a musician and a human being, and he has his own back company which also makes surfboards. I mean, it just can't get any better. Wow. <laughs> and as a former uh, concessionaire at Tiger Stadium. See? Which really? Is, yeah. Jack White. I met him at a Tigers game, uh, and, and he used to be at old Tiger Stadium. A wonderful guy. Um, as, as, we, as we wrap up, and, and then we can all get back to our lives, you referenced Steve Gleason earlier, and I cannot watch that interview you guys did with him that I think was on ESPN without bawling my eyes out. And you're really vulnerable, Ed, in that interview. And, and you know, if there's ever a time to be, uh, you know, that, that's it, because you're looking at somebody who has more courage than all of us combined and has been through more than any of us can 
fathom, and yet he keeps getting out there swinging, making a difference. And you talked about your dad, Eddie, and you said, you know, first and foremost, I would just like to know that he loved me. And, and I cannot hear you say that on a taped interview without it hitting me so deep. And I'm wondering, as, as I've gotten to know you over the years, with your heart and your depth and your soul, you know, how, do you still think of that? Are you in some way still creating this life that would make him so proud that, I mean, there would be nothing but love that he could have for this boy that he created that has meant so much to so many people. Is that a part of you still to this day? Do you think, does that, does that ghost sit out there for you? Well, you're very nice to say those things. Um, I, I actually, I, I feel it more. I don't think that'll ever go away, but I, I feel it more in my wife and my kids now. I, I, it, it, I want them to be um, proud of their dad and um, part of their husband, her husband. And um, so that's, that's, the, that's the way, actually, that's way bigger now, you know, <laughs> That's the that's the living legacy, you know. That that would be the the one that uh, I would care about most. Oh, you know what I was going to tell you? I've been work. Uh, did I tell you, Joe? I was working on a, a Sean Penn movie um, during yes. this downtime. I'm not going to bring up. I wasn't going to bring up stuff that I I don't want to bring up anything that I'm not supposed to bring up. So I've just been laying laying low. <laughs> Well, actually, right before the call, because it's not, it's, it's, they're kind of putting the finishing touches on it now. And I, and I don't think it's been talked about out there, but I asked John if I could mention it and he, he said, hell yeah. So there's this cool film that he's made. I mean, it's unbelievable actually. And in a way it's, it's, I, I think there's bits of into the wild in there but it's a it's a it's a female story you know it's a young woman based on a true story um there was a book called flim flam man that is now a movie called flag day and sean and robin's daughter uh dylan is in it and it's it she's just incredible um, Sean directed it and plays the dad. Um, it's really kind of her amazing journey, but then the relationship between the, the dad who was not a, uh, he, he ain't Ward Cleaver. And, um, but it's, it's really, really intense and so powerful. Um, but I got the opportunity to add some music in it and, um, and Glenn Hansard as well. And Sean Marshall, uh, cat power. Um, so that's been a one kind of work thing that we've been able to, uh, kind of get from the, uh, past conception into, uh, delivery soon. I think it's, it's, um, just so proud of, of um, Sean and his crew and just blown away by um, uh, his kids. His son, Hopper, plays uh, the, the brother, too. It's just, it's really powerful. Um, 
but yeah, and I'm not sure when it'll come out or anything like that or how. But but um, but, but they shot it. Everything was shot though prior to the, everything the was shot right point. when they were kind of in getting into final editing or that you know that kind of last last run around the track right when it all all this stuff went down in fact glenn hansard was in los angeles flew from ireland to los angeles i had one meeting with sean penn and sean marshall and they were going to be in the studio for two weeks or so and then literally had to turn around that evening and get back to ireland because they were closing the borders mm. So, and then after that, it was kind of put on hold and we started working from home and um, different way to do things. But but the most important part of that whole project to me is the next layer, which you can choose to talk about or not. Which is? Who you may or may not have collaborated with on one of the songs. Oh, yeah. I don't, I, uh... <laughs> we, we, you can, we can cut this all out so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, um, you don't have to say it. If you yeah, I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna unwrap that present later. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I like, I like, it, I like it better like this because now you can leave that in and have them have everyone wondering. Yes. Yes. Well, it was. Uh, it's him. It was an important collaboration. John Davidson. It's you and John Davidson, right? John Davidson, who wrote an incredible book that that all my success, I can kind of dedicate it back to our producer, Brendan O'Brien, who we made many, many, many records um, with. And and he turned me on to a book by John Davidson called The Singing Entertainer. I don't think you can find a copy of it on eBay. They're, they're so valuable. Um, uh-huh. And it will teach you everything. Stand how to stand, how to hold your mic, how, where to position the people in your staff during a uh, staff meeting, you know, a pre-tour meeting. There's certain people that should sit in certain places. And, and it, it, like your neighbor four feet away from your feet, or does it talk about, uh, does it talk about you hanging off rafters? Well, then is that, uh, did John Davidson ever hang from rafters at different music festivals? Was that part of the book? No. Well, that would be my take on it. Um, yeah, (laughs) the, uh, but see, that was something that Lola Falana never did. You see, (laughs) so it was kind of pre, well, it was actually, I was going to, it's funny to think that that was going on. You know, your Lola Falanas and your Engelbert Humperdinks. That was going on at the same time as punk rock. I mean, yeah. Which is kind of your first love, is it not? Uh, punk at heart. Punk rock or Engelbert? Engelbert Humpersnatch. No, but okay, so here's our uh <laughs> here's where we can uh we can segue here. Um Jesus. this this cool thing happened to me about uh about dads and and getting to know my dad and there's a crazy cubs connection and oliver you were asking me before about where did the cub thing start it it, it literally was just my uncle bringing me to wrigley field um when i was six um and and also having watched and played a lot of baseball sandlot you know that was kind of what we did all summer and 
and I love the game and Wrigley, uh, you know, WGN had, I think the Cubs had most, the broadcast more games than any other team. And, and they were all oh, day yeah. games and they were like part of your family, Ron Sano and Glenn Becker mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Randy Hunley and Jose Cardinal and Billy Williams. And I can name everybody. They, they were just part of your family, you know? And, and it's funny. I sometimes tell the story about going there the first time. Uh, we might even talk about this at, at Murphy's Joe. I can't remember when we we're doing the let's play two thing, but you know, to walk into Wrigley Field and see, and, and I and I tried to remember. I, I was, I was thinking, well, why was it so impactful? Like that moment in Wizard of Oz, where where all of a sudden it goes to color, but it was walking up the bleacher ramp, and then walking, you know, hearing the the mitts popping and the 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 fungal bats going, and then walking out and seeing the greenest green, the whitest white, the bluest blue. It was like that Wizard of Oz moment. And and what it was, it, the color TV existed. We just didn't have one. So right. <laughs> to to see all that, you know, it was like, I mean, and then Jose Cardinal right there in front of me, like right field, just right there. Like, it just crazy. Just blew my mind. And he was like my first childhood hero. Um, now he's again, great, great friend. So fortunate. But um, he was Michelle Obama's favorite player, even though she grew up on the South side. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so, so the Cub thing meant the world. And then uh, when I was about 15 years ago, Jose invited me to this thing that they do down in Arizona called the Wrigley, uh, Randy Hunley fantasy camp for baseball and you you play with all the old guys and and or they they coach you and then you got these teams and you learn more about baseball in a week from your idols than than you'd ever known in 40 years previous and uh but what i was gonna say this crazy thing happened where, where they had a um they had a guy called carmen fan zone carmen this this Italian, handsome, dignified, Carmen fan zone. And he was Ron Sen- Do you know who he is, Joe? I don't. You don't? No. Wow. No. He was the backup to Ron Santo at third base. <laughs> so he did not get a lot of playing time. Yeah, that's like the Maytag repairman. This went on for years. That's good. So, so, and it's great. And he was a horn player. He, he was a trumpet player, jazz musician. And it's funny because he was telling the story about he played the Star Spangled Banner in uniform on trumpet one day, right near, uh, you know, right near home plate. And I thought he did it all the time. I was actually there that game as a kid. I was probably seven or eight when, um, when he did that, I, it was so interesting to know, I, to get to know him at this camp. And um, he was such a great, great guy. And, and he used to play the camp as a week on Wednesday night, he'd play at like a little jazz club. So all the, the campers would go and, you know, support and hang out and then get to watch him play just incredible horn like all night long you know just incredible 
So he comes to camp the next day and says, hey, uh, the guy I'm playing this little combo with, there was like a keyboard player and a bass player and um, maybe four people. He said, the keyboard player said, who was who that guy that, you know, people were asking him to take his picture and, you know, da-da-da. He's getting kind of hassled. Who was that guy? What was that all about? And he said, oh, he was, he's this musician and a band out of Seattle and da-da-da. And Danny, this the keyboard player, his name is Danny Long. He told Carmen, he goes, I think I used to play with that guy's dad. I heard about this guy. So he told me that. Now, cut to a year later, we're back at the club Wednesday night. And they play a little set and then they take a break. And then Carmen said, hey, Danny would like to talk to you. And I go up and I sit behind the keyboard with him. And Danny pulls out this manila folder envelope with all these pictures of, of him and my dad. Pictures I'd never seen. And, you know, I'd probably seen. Oh, my God. I'd probably seen less than 10 pictures of my dad. And now here there was. 30 40 you know him and a horse and him in a tank top and him looking cool and you know whatever it was crazy uh oh my god out of so now cut to a year later uh maybe two i think i might have missed a camp cut to a year later and danny brings a, a cd and it's got four of my dad's songs on it i'd never heard him sing before and and i didn't listen to that thing i didn't listen to it i was just apprehensive i was i i I couldn't i just didn't find the right time i didn't know when i i didn't know when i would be in a spot to handle it i didn't know what was on there i didn't know either way it was going to be strangely fucked up because it was either going to be like really horrible which would have been fucked up <laughs> it might have been really great which might also been fucked up because i'd miss him or think of what could have been and whatever so cut to uh must have been three four i carried this little cd with me everywhere and i was down in um south america with chris chelios and it was a night off and we went and had some dinner and came back to my room and well, we had some wine at dinner and then had, had some more wine in, in, at my place. And and they had a good little stereo in there. And I was like, fuck it. <laughs> and I wasn't alone, you know. I, I had some support. And we put this thing on. And and uh, it was crazy. It was four songs of this guy. And it was really good. He was good. He really, he could really do it. And uh, I, I probably could sing those songs better than, than I could, maybe twice as good. And it was like uh, Wichita Lyman, Delilah, you know, like a Tom Jones thing. Mm-hmm. Wichita Lyman, he sounded great, you know. I was a lineman on the county. You know, this kind of crooner yeah. thing. <laughs> da, 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 da. He went low. And then, um, and then there's two more songs. The, the last one was this song about like divorce, which is what he was going through, right? For my mom. 
I was one when they divorced, I think. And, uh, and then kept it a secret. Um, but there's this one and he's singing and, and he, and then he changes the lyrics and he says, would you take good care of Eddie? <laughs> and, uh, man, I mean, Chris Chelios, uh, NHL Hall of Famer. He's, he's a, he's a bruiser. He's a, he's a, he's a he-man. And, um, we both just, we were crying like babies. <laughs> it was, it was really something, but could you imagine that coming that happening because you love the Chicago Cubs <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. and because of the camp right. and because of Carmen Fanzone, who was like Chicago's first number 23 before Michael Jordan, before Ryan Sandberg. Uh, that's how I remembered 23 and like in 23 is uh, Carmen Fanzone. He's still around. He, he works with, uh, he's, he's high up in the musicians union. Um, I'm so grateful to him. Um, and this guy Danny Long, it just—it was a just a a crazy thing to hear your dad singing to yeah. you from from the beyond. How how amazing is that that he had all that still with this happenstance meeting that he was in a position to give you all that? Does that test your does does that test your atheism at all? <laughs> well, it it. It it makes me believe that you know they really. I will remain open to things larger than our own dimension. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I, I religion I, to me is crazy. But Eddie, while you were telling that story, you were looking up, and I'm looking at my one of my best friends, crying like. That's a, that's I don't a want lot. to say a baby crying like a man and having a, a, having lot, a really dude. tough time oh. hearing that. Love you, brother. Love oh. you too, man. Holy fuck, dude. Well, I'll just fill the gap by saying my sister played a an interview that my dad did uh, the year before he died with uh, a radio host in St. Louis. And he was asking, the host was asking my dad about me and I had just started in the broadcast world. And my dad never heard the interview before. And I heard it and it was my dad being asked about, you know, me as an announcer. And he said, I'll tell you this right now in his grovelly voice. I'll tell you this right now. He's the best I've ever heard. He's better than I ever was. And most importantly, he's a nice guy and people like him. And the, the host kind of questioned it. He just said, really? He said, you question that? And the host said, no, no, I, I don't. He said, he's the best I've ever heard. Oh, wow. And I'd never heard my dad. He just was not that kind of dad where he would he'd tell my mom, he'd tell all of his friends, he'd tell the person delivering the mail, but he wouldn't tell me that. And to hear that 15 years after he died for the first time, Wow. it's the only time I've really cried about my dad being gone. Wow. Even after he died, you know, mourning him every day being in the hospital, but it was the only time that I ever really broke down. And I, I, I listened to it and I, I've only listened to it once. And it's just, 
it's heavy. It's so just, it's such an amazing thing, though, that you got to experience that. You know, I, I guess I just it, it struck me just because I don't think I've ever had anything like that <clears throat> with my my real father. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my being a, a dad is the number one thing in my life, and you know, I'm with my boys and my girl too, and you know. I, I always think of how lucky they are because they get to be so loved, I, you know, and to have someone so present in their life. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have that, you know, I mean, and I haven't had that moment really yet. And I, I maybe I'm like needing or looking for that moment in this reconnection with my dad. But well, that's you know, how we I, I've. That's how we started talking today, right? So you're, you know, and you were contented, but but maybe you can go there. You need to go there, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you have the opportunity, and and um, it's it's an important Mm -hmm. it's an important opportunity. And and you were you were saying that this relationship was kind of coming together because you didn't want to have regrets and mortality and all that. Well, mm-hmm. I think you. It sounds like you still have a little ways to go, and 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 mm-hmm. again, you don't want to have those regrets. I know, and it's it's on me though. You know what I mean? Like I I I I've waited for him for however I'm 43, right? So now it's not about it's on me to pursue it and just to keep pursuing and pursuing. You know, and and yeah. I would suggest pursue it with low expectations. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it can't yeah, disappoint totally. you any further. You know, and it's okay. Yeah. It's yeah, just okay. Yeah. 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 And I, and I do and and. You know, but that that just hit me because, you know, even from beyond, you got to hear a lyric where he's actually saying to take care of you. I mean, that's fucking gnarly. And, you know, I've, uh, you know, my dad has texted me, I'm proud of you here and there with, you know, in our reconnection. But like, I haven't had one of those conversations, you know, with him. I mean, he, he we had one nice, really nice moment after we drank a ton of beers and and he started getting emotional because he saw so much of himself in me and 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 you know it was reciprocated i was like holy shit this man is so much like me even his desire to sort of wander and to live in his studio and smoke joints and drink whiskey i like and play poker and just sort of be alone i mean i'm a social person but i i can relate to that and there was a lot in this long conversation through a lot of alcohol where we connected on a spiritual, you know, level and it was awesome. But, and I haven't had that, that sort of closure, I guess, you know, or that moment. Oliver, you know what I think would, you know what I think would really get them there? And I think this, you can do this is you walk in, you know, he sees himself in you and then that gets him. If you walk in wearing like a 1970s, like Raylon jumpsuit, Orange, <laughs> yellow trim. He'll, he will. Velour he will. Come on. Exactly. Then I'll just, look just like then I'll... Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> that's right. Dude. That's right, man. It's it's gonna take a wardrobe change and maybe a, a, a like a hair a hairdresser to blow me out. I'm thinking some platform, you know, mm-hmm. Elton John style. Mm-hmm like yes bring it 
That's great. I'm gonna do that. I'm just gonna show up at his ranch in Malibu in that outfit to see what he, <laughs> to see what he does. You'll be hauled off in handcuffs. That is my no. That's my dad. Hey, get out of uh, here. Oh, uh, well, well, this is the this is the heaviest Zoom call in the history of Zoom calls. Yeah, thank you, Eddie. No, thank but thanks for sharing, for sharing that for sharing that, man. That was that was really. Uh, I mean, just on a personal level, like a powerful thing for me to hear. Well, Joe, that, that what you just said too, it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I'm so happy that we've gotten to know each other over the years and, um, so many great experiences and, and, uh, and just being in contact all the time, but also watching, you know, I was watching a documentary about the eighties Cardinals. And then also there was another documentary about the, mcguire sosa thing and and so i didn't really i wasn't really aware of of your dad i mean if i had grown up in st louis he would have been a uh you know a fixture like sure, harry yeah. Carey or something but i i and i and i knew um that there was some nepotism involved <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> nepotism's great as long but, as you keep it in the family i love uh, nepotism i'm all i'm a nepotite I, I, hey, I, I you're a nepotite. Nepotite <laughs> for destruction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Ed, have um, you seen have you seen Battered see Bastards of Baseball? And that too. Somebody asked me. Uh, I was with a. That's actually, my grandfather, a, a filmmaker. Uh, I just couldn't believe that is one of my all-time favorite baseball movies. That is just. Mm-hmm. incredible i went and uh actually found some vintage eight by tens from that era i got a little bit of a baseball connection so i wanted those guys represented in the uh and it was all northwest right was it portland mm-hmm. yeah it was oregon yeah i mean that yeah and then jim bouton i mean come on this yeah. is all my yeah all my favorite elements of baseball yeah aligning in in one incredible kaleidoscope package it's just yeah. Incredible. Uh, if you ever, I actually, I don't know. It seems weird. Sometimes you see something so powerful, you want to reach out, but, but right. You know, I thought about writing Kurt and I was lucky enough to know yeah. Jim Bouton. Um, we had some great phone calls and I read all his books and yeah. uh, I was lucky to get to know him. Um, but I really wanted to pass that on to Kurt. I, that was just, yeah incredible and then yeah it was your he's he made it but it was your grandfather yeah 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 it was bing bing had the vision you know he had the he had he he had the vision and he went and executed it very cool great story you know uh one of the best just and 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 really cool yeah just so you know Mm non-conformist anti-corporate exactly exactly and they were crushed exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Hey, did oh, you man, did well, you we were talking about dads. Did you hear the Bruce story? I, I think he's told it somewhere. I don't think it was part of the the great show um at the Broadway Theater. But did you hear the Bruce one where you know his dad and him they wouldn't really talk about music and um but when his dad was was about to uh move on I think they were in the hospital and then um, I think Bruce might have asked him. See, I think Bruce had to broach the subject and, and, and I, I hope I'm telling it proper in regards to my friend here. But um, 
I, I think the the version was was something like, "Dad, did did you did you like any of the music? Did you like any of the music?" Mm. Um, and then uh, his dad, I I I, I, I want to I picture him like he was grabbing his hand or something. He, he said, "I like the songs about me." Mm. <laughs> 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 Which was, you know. Independence Day, you know, Papa, go to bed now. Let's get in late. Huh. Nothing you can say is going to change anything now. Oh my God, you know this stuff. So, yeah. but yeah, that was uh, that. I think that was Bruce's moment. You know, mm. Mm. man. Shit. Well, wow. if Pearl Jam ever breaks up, I think we should, you know, go on the road together, all three of us. <laughs> right, and just. I'll just I'll just cry on stage. You guys tell stories about your fathers, and I'll just cry on stage. That'll be like the, that'll be like the thing. Like the show will be over, and they're like, "It can't be over. They got to be coming out for more." And they're like, "Why? Well, Oliver hasn't cried yet. It's got to be the big end. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> they're definitely coming back out for more. Sure enough, we come out yeah. for more. Cue Oliver. Bam." <laughs> Crowd agrees. I don't get encores. <laughs> I don't get encores. I, encores annoy the shit out of me. If you're gonna play 15 songs, play 15 songs. If you if you, you need to be begged to come back out again, then then play 13 songs. Well, see, that's you know what I'm saying. That was one of the great things outside of you know Pete wanting to be part of this auto destruct art movement of the mid 60s, and then that parlaying into you know smashing your instruments to pieces at the end of the gig i mean that's the great thing because you know you do that and you're you're not coming back out <laughs> it's over <laughs> that's it <laughs> now I've, I've done it where i've smashed the guitar on the last song uh but it's just the one guitar they're like oh yeah they're right. definitely coming back out you know you got 48 <laughs> back there you need to you need to smash like everything you know, one of my favorite guitar smashing stories was Mike McCready, I think Australia, 94. I think our first time down there or something. Mike McCready is playing sound check and he's so hyped up and he's just losing. He's playing out of his brain, you know, some solo. He's just, he's got this 1959 Strat. He's just like, you know, Jack Irons was our drummer. Or, 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 uh, I think it was Jack. Or, or maybe Dave, I can't And we're watching, we're watching, and he's just, and he fucking takes his guitar off, starts smashing it. <laughs> like a 59 Stratocaster. It's sound check. There's no one there. <laughs> like he was so in, like infected, Chris Cornell says about him in the, the PJ20 document, infected, on fire, just demolishes an incredible, yeah. Hell, never. It's like Animal House, like Belushi, where yeah. he smashes it against the wall. He's like, "Sorry, yeah." Like, what did he say? <laughs> that escalated fast. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody got a guitar? Wow. God, that's and, awesome. In, but infected. What it's a kind great of legend word to describe that. And he's, he's infected. I love that. Yeah, Cornell. Cornell came up with that one. That's true. Yeah. Man, you're the best. I, I just, I don't know how to repay you. I don't know how to thank you for doing this. Who the hell wants to do somebody's podcast, but you did it and I'm forever indebted. My first one. There you go. Thank or God. maybe second, maybe second. 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's whatever. You'll always be you sitting one on the other end of this thing. <laughs> you'll, you'll be. Uh, thank, oh, thank you so much, man. You. This is good to know you too, brother. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, it. God, that was beautiful. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, it was really nice. My pleasure. I miss you guys. That was fun. Mm-hmm.